We have been tracing this story in the book of Genesis, the stories of Abraham, and now we're on to the stories involving his son Isaac. Abraham is an important figure in the Bible's story because the Bible tells us that God made a covenant with Abraham, and as part of that covenant, there were promises. I don't have the picture in front of, I'm sorry, the the verse in front of you on the screens today, but if you've been worshiping with HRCC over the past couple of months, we've referred multiple, multiple times to this phrase in the New Testament that says, we who are followers of Jesus Christ have become heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham. And so that kind of gives us, I think, the reason to look into these stories involving Abraham and his heirs a little bit more, um, with a little bit more detail. I want to kind of reboot and reset the scene today because the last couple of weeks we've, we've taken the scripture a little bit out of order um, because I just feel like the stories have laid out a little bit better than that, but I want to make sure we're kind of all on the same page as we rejoin. Uh, last Sunday I read from Genesis chapter 24 about Abraham's kind of final wishes to help his son Isaac find a wife, and he did find a wife. He found Rebecca. This was an important part of Abraham's plan to steward the promises of God in his life into the next generation. Uh, that was in Genesis chapter 24. If you turn the page and go to Genesis chapter 25, you might be reminded that we actually already read a good portion of that because Genesis 25 tells us the story of the circumstances around which Abraham passed away. And so we're going to skip over that, having already addressed that, and move ahead one more chapter to Genesis chapter 26, where the story of Isaac, who is now the patriarch of this family, right? Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, this, their story is going to begin in earnest. And their story begins with a very strong sense of deja vu. And as a matter of fact, almost everything I read from the scripture today is going to give us that sense of of deja vu. Uh, See if you can follow with me. It's Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. The scripture says, A severe famine now struck the land as it happened before in Abraham's time. Translation, deja vu. Uh, So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. We're going to stop right there. Way back, way back. If you've been with us for weeks and weeks, you might remember way back when we read from Genesis chapter 12. Abraham and Sarah arrived in Canaan for the very first time, and a great famine followed them. And so they moved south. They moved much further south. They moved, you might recall, all the way to Egypt. And they got themselves into a lot of trouble down in Egypt. Here, though, we have our first real moment with Isaac and Rebecca as the main characters. And how does their story begin? It begins with exactly the same problem that Father Abraham had. And that's just the way life goes sometimes. It's an important reminder to us just as we start the story that heirs may face the same obstacles as their ancestors. There's nothing new under the sun, right? This is... This is a story that we've seen before. Heirs may face the same obstacles as their ancestors. It was a great famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac's story begins perhaps coincidentally with another great famine. But let's look at the spiritual reasons behind that. You know what I think? 
I think it's the devil's job to convince God's people that God's word isn't true. I think it's the devil's job to convince God's people that God cannot be trusted. And while the devil is very, very crafty in the way he does that, he's just not very creative in the way he does that. He will use the same techniques again and again and again to distract the people of God in an attempt to keep them away from the things that God has promised for them. I've said before, sin will change your address. It will put you geographically sometimes in a place where God doesn't want you. That's what happened to Abraham during the time of the famine. It put him in a place God didn't want him. And now Isaac is facing the same challenge and we'll have to read on to find out if he has the same response. But that's the way the devil's gonna work. Now, maybe it's a bit too dismissive to say that the devil isn't creative. Maybe the issue isn't creativity. Maybe it's, maybe it's strategy. You, you know, football coaches will tell you that the best way to play a football game is to run a play. And if the play works and the defense, defense can't stop it, well then run the play again and run the play again and run the play again and run it again and again and again and again until the defense proves that it can stop the play. Baseball pitchers will tell you the same thing. Am I right, my brother? Throw your fastball. Throw your fastball again and again and again until they prove they can hit it. And if they can't hit it, just keep throwing the fastball. There's no need to be creative if you can do the same thing again and again. Maybe Satan uses the same strategy. Maybe he's prone to throw the same obstacles in front of God's people again and again and again until they prove they can overcome them. In any case, we shouldn't be surprised or discouraged when we encounter challenges that we faced before. We shouldn't be surprised or discouraged when we discover that the obstacles in front of us are no different than what our spiritual ancestors faced. It doesn't mean that we haven't made progress. It just means we're an heir to the promise. What matters most is how we respond to those obstacles. When Abraham encountered a famine in the land, he ran, as we said, all the way to Egypt. He shouldn't have been in Egypt. He got himself into even more trouble in Egypt. God did not want Isaac to make the very same mistake. So I'm reading to you now from chapter 26, verse 2. It says, The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. But God's going to make it that clear for Isaac. Abraham's like, hey, I would have appreciated the same, the same consideration, right? But no, Isaac gets it that clearly. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Don't make the same knucklehead decision that your dad made. But do as I tell you. Live here. Remember, Isaac's already journeyed as far as Philistia. He's in the land of the Philistines. God says, live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands, and all to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. 
Uh, if you've read with us through these stories, I hope I know that you recognize that these things that God is saying to Isaac, this is not the first time we've heard this language. It's not the first time we've heard these phrases. These are the same things that God used to say to Isaac's father, Abraham. God is merely repeating the same covenant promises to Abraham's heir that he had made to Abraham himself. We shouldn't be surprised by that because heirs are subject to the same covenant as their ancestors. You follow that? An heir is subject to the same covenant as his or her ancestor. Even in our culture, it works that way. In the legal system, if if you sign a legal document, you sign a legal contract, very often that comes with what they call successors. It means if I have a legal contract and I pass away, the terms of that contract are still binding on whoever follows me, whoever my descendant is. Tyler, look out. If I sign the wrong things, you're in trouble, bud. Okay? The the terms of the covenant are still applicable in the lives of the heirs and the, the descendants. This is really the heart of the reason why this entire story, this entire passage of Scripture is relevant to us. The Bible refers to followers of Jesus as the heirs of the covenant that God cut with Abraham. And if you are a Christian, then these stories, they're not just mythology. They're not just history. They are information that you need to have because God says that you are subject to the same covenant as your ancestor, Abraham. Did you ever notice that throughout the rest of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, as it goes on, uh, when we encounter God, when when God is being uh, introduced or described, he's very often described as the God of Abraham. Sometimes as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about all the other great heroes of the Bible. We never hear God described as the God of Moses or the God of Elijah. He's never the God of Esther or the God of Paul. He's described as the God of Abraham. All those great men and women of God did mighty things in God's power, but his identification is not with them. His identification is always as the God of Abraham. There's a reason for that. Abraham was the original recipient of the covenant promises. And so our uh, rights, if you will, as heirs of the covenant find their source. They find their source in Abraham's relationship with God, not anybody else's. So when the Bible says our God is the God of Abraham, it's a reminder to us that as Abraham's heirs, you and I are subject to the very same covenant promises that he was. And that matters. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you never have to be concerned about whether or not God is for you or against you. I'm going to say that one more time so that everybody hears it. This means that if you are a follower of Jesus, you never have to be concerned. You never have to worry about whether God is for you or against you. You never have to worry about whether or not God sees you. You never have to worry about whether or not God hears you. You never have to worry about whether or not God's going to come through for you. You never have to worry about whether or not God's going to provide for you. You never have to worry about whether or not God's going to bless you. Can I go on? Maybe we'll put it aside for a minute. Do you get the point? You see, it's not a question of if. 
for those who are followers of Jesus, for those who are, as we've said a hundred times now, heirs of the promise, we don't have to worry. It's, it's not a question of if. It's not a question of if. And you know what else? Oh, this is my favorite part. You want to hear my favorite part? You don't have to be jealous anymore. You don't have to be jealous of the way that God worked in the lives of Abraham or Isaac or Joshua or Ruth or Jeremiah or Peter or your grandma or your neighbor or the deacons of the church or anybody else. You don't have to be jealous of the way God showed up in their lives because you are subject to the exact same covenant that they are. The fact that God showed up and showed out for them is proof that he's going to do the same for you. you. We sang it in, in a song earlier today, right? We sang he's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? And the song answers the question, doesn't it? He won't. He won't. You see, when we don't understand our relationship with Christ, I'm prone to look at somebody else. I'm prone to look at their life and say, man, God keeps on blessing them. God keeps on showing up for them. They're clearly God's favorite. I'm looking at Dave Murphy here thinking, man, he is a blessed son of God, right? I wish I was like Dave. How come it never works that way for me? But the Holy Spirit in me says, hey, you be quiet now. Dave's my covenant child. And you know who you are? You're my covenant child. You are subjects to the exact same covenant. And if God's going to come through for Dave, if God's going to come through for Isaac, if God's going to come through for Abraham, then there is no way that he's not going to come through for you. Did you follow my double negatives there? There you go. There you go. Part that sentence and figure it out. There's no way that he's not going to not, maybe not, no, I'm totally lost. You got it. There it is. There it is. Let's continue with Isaac's story. He's taken refuge in the kingdom of the Philistines. Now, I didn't make a map for you today. You can forgive me for that. But for those of you that are curious, the kingdom of the Philistines includes the ancient city of Gaza. This is a story that's being played out even today. In the news, isn't it, right? He's taken refuge in the kingdom of the Philistines. He and his household are going to shelter there for a while as foreigners and as refugees. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 26, verse 7. It says, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, oh, she's my sister. (laughs) See, he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought they will kill me to get to her because she's so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and he saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. He knew the truth, didn't he? Oh, Isaac, 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 Isaac. She's my sister. She's my sister. Hey, can I let you in on a little joke here? There's a little joke in this part of the story that's lost in translation, quite literally lost to us in translation. I just read to you from the New Living Translation of the Bible. It says that King Abimelech looked out his window and he saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. You'll find that word caressing in a number of translations. A few other words, a few other translations use a different word. It's because the word that's actually used there we don't have a very good analog for it in English. Uh, the, the word that's actually used in the ancient Hebrew there says he saw Isaac 
And Isaac was, he was touching his wife in a way that made her laugh. Everybody got real quiet. <laughs> Isaac and Rebecca were having a tickle fight. You know what I'm saying? Isaac and Rebecca were having a tickle fight. Abimelech looked out his window and he, he could see Isaac uh, laying back with Rebecca and, and he was touching her in an affectionate way and it, it, was, it was making her laugh. Do you remember what Isaac's name means? We went all the way back. Isaac was named for a very, very specific reason. Isaac's name means, do you remember it? Say it. It means he laughs. It means laughter. So in the ancient Hebrew, what this actually says here, the author is having great fun. He's clearly a junior higher because he's giggling, you know, as he writes this down. He says, King Abimelech looked out his window and he, he saw Isaac and he was Isaacing Rebecca. <laughs> that's, that's what it says there. You, there was another point in the story where uh, the author made the same joke, but it was in, it was in a bad way. Uh, it, it was uh, Ishmael, Isaac, Isaac which means he was laughing at Isaac. But, but Isaac wasn't laughing at Rebecca. He, he, he was making her giggle. I just thought you'd appreciate that joke today. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, you're going to remember that Isaac and Rebecca were having a tickle fight. But I think it's actually relevant that the author's kind of making a pun here. He's telling a joke. He's adding a little humor because the entire situation is absurd, is it not? We have seen this before. This is another deja vu. Abraham made this mistake twice. In chapter 12, he told the king of Egypt, no, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Why? Because he was afraid that he was gonna get killed so they could marry her. And then in chapter 20, Abraham told the very same lie, are you ready for this? To Abimelech, king of the Philistines. <laughs> He told the same she's my sister lie to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And now a generation later, his son Isaac, who wasn't even alive then, hadn't been born yet, is telling the same lie to whom? Abimelech, Abimelech king of the Philistines. Now, before we start wondering just some things about Abimelech, we're pretty sure Abimelech is a royal title, kind of like Pharaoh. It probably wasn't the same Abimelech that both Abraham and Isaac had to lie to about their wives, but still it's probably his son. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the, the story is just, it's the same mistake his father made in the same place his father made it with the same guy that his father made the mistake it's, it's unreal. You can't make this up. You cannot make this up. <laughs> but you know what? This is how life happens sometimes. Heirs may make the same mistakes as their ancestors. Can we just sit and receive a little bit of grace on that? Like sometimes we are going to goof up the very same way that our ancestors did. We already said that heirs are sometimes going to face the same obstacles as their ancestors. It only stands to reason that they may likewise make the same mistakes. Now here's why that matters to you and I. Hear the word of the Lord today. No matter how badly you think you've goofed up, no matter how big a mistake you've made, no matter how big a spiritual mess your life is in, there is no mistake you can make that God hasn't dealt with before. 
There is no mistake you can make that God has not dealt with before. Yeah, you're a sinner. Congratulations. But guess what? You didn't create sin. You certainly didn't perfect sin. And believe it or not, you haven't even improved upon the sins of those who came before you. Do we need to go through the list again and remind ourselves? Noah was a drunk. Moses was a murderer. David was a sexual predator. Paul was a terrorist. Those are just a few of the highlights. We could keep going here, right? We could keep going here. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should minimize the impact of sin in our lives. I'm not saying it's no big deal. This has all happened before. That's not what I'm saying. Make no mistake about it. Sin is a big deal, especially in light of the covenant we live under, right? Do you remember that it's the responsibility of Abraham and the heirs of the promise to obey God's word? That's our responsibility. That means making every effort to identify sin in our lives and to see ruthlessly that it is eliminated. So when you discover sin in your life, confess it. That's what the Bible says, right? Confess it. Repent from it. That means turn away from it. Don't say, ah, it's no biggie. No, repent from it. Turn away from it. Deal with it as the Lord would have you deal with it. But do not for one second wonder if it has permanently disqualified you from your inheritance in Jesus. It has not. It certainly didn't disqualify Isaac. He was still Abraham's heir. He could pull off the same knuckleheaded mistakes that his father pulled off, but that wasn't going to get him cast out of the covenant. He was still Abraham's heir. And fortunately, he was able in this story to kind of smooth things over with Abimelech. He was able to stay in the area for a while. So let's pick up the story in verse 12. It says this, when Isaac planted his crops that year, He harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, so many herds of cattle and servants, that the Philistines became jealous of him. Can I remind you of the context here? Isaac's father, Abraham, right? Abraham had become a wealthy rancher. The Bible says that Abraham gave expensive gifts to all of his children before he passed away. But in keeping in line with the ancient customs, when he passed away, he left his entire estate to Isaac. That's making Isaac a wealthy man as well. But then a famine hit and things got rough. People who live off the land like Abraham and Isaac, they tend to go bankrupt during famines, especially when they have a lot of livestock to feed, especially when they have a lot of employees to support as both Abraham and Isaac did. Famines are not good things for these kinds of guys. But Isaac goes into this famine And instead of experiencing bankruptcy, he sets a record-setting harvest. And what does he do? He uses his wealth to buy up even more livestock. And so pretty soon, he's the wealthiest, most powerful man in all of Philistia. And how do you think his neighbors felt about that? Pretty jealous. Yeah, probably. Why did God bless him that way? 
He blessed him that way because Isaac was the heir of the promise. Specifically, God had told Abraham, I will bless you and make you famous. Several weeks ago, we referred to that as a promise of prestige. God was going to bless Abraham and his descendants so much that it was going to make everybody else take notice. And that blessing had begun to take root during Abraham's lifetime, but now Isaac is experiencing it to even greater measure for himself. Can I tell you this? Heirs can count on the same blessings as their ancestors. Heirs to the promises of God can count on the same blessings that God gave their ancestors. A lot of you guys know that my dad was a police officer in the town that I grew up in. We, we lived in Villa Park when I was a boy. Dad spent 38 years on the Villa Park police force and his name with the other cops, his nickname with the other cops in town was The Bear. They all called him The Bear. I don't think too many of them actually knew his name. They just called him The Bear. And my dad was an outgoing guy. It seemed like he knew every business owner in town. Now, do the math here. He spent 38 years on the police force. So for 38 years, he spent 40 hours a week. And I'm guessing 38 to 39 of those hours were in the convenience stores and the donut shops. And so he got to know, he got to know everybody in town. And so when I was a little boy on my dad's day off, he often would take me around town running errands with him. And we would go to some of his favorite haunts in town. It was the hardware store. It was the barber shop. It was uh, the, the corner convenience store. It was, it was the meat market. And wherever we went, as we walked in, people would greet him loud like Norm on Cheers, right? Hey, it's the bear. It's the bear. And then they'd see me behind him and they'd go, you're the bear's kid. You're the bear's kid. And every once in a while, I'd run into some of those people without my dad, and they'd look at me and they'd say, aren't you the bear's kid? Aren't you the bear's kid? And when they saw me, when they said, you're the bear's kid, aren't you? That usually meant an extra piece of candy from the candy dish or some other blessing from the store, some other treat, some other privilege. There were, there were just blessings to being the bear's kid in, the, in Villa Park back in the 1980s. There were some other blessings to being the bear's kid. Some of those blessings were more important. Several years after my dad retired, I was with my brother one night when he got so sick we needed to call an ambulance for him. And as I was waiting for him, or as I was waiting with him for the ambulance to come, a Villa Park police officer pulled up, a squad car pulled up and got out and, and, and came to see that we were okay. We were still waiting for the ambulance and I heard the police officer radio, hey, could I get an ETA on that ambo? And they, they, they said whatever they said to him. And then he got on his radio one more time and he said, hey, make sure the paramedics know it's the Bears kid. It's the Bears kid. Just a few years ago, I was in downtown Naperville one evening along the Riverwalk. Uh, I had arranged to meet somebody actually from church. Uh, there that evening. I had my shoulder bag with me and we sat down on a bench. I put my shoulder bag down. We sat and talked for a couple of hours and then I got up and, and drove home and left my shoulder bag behind me. It had my iPad in it. It had, it had a bunch of books in it that I needed. It had a bunch of other things in it. It was, it was bad news. When I, a couple hours later, realized that I had left it behind, you know, I, I said a quick prayer. I thought, man, I'm never going to see that again, right? And I called the Naperville police And I was shocked to find out that they said, yeah, somebody turned in a shoulder bag exactly where you're describing. Here's where we have it now. You go there, find a police officer, bring your ID. 
We'll see if you can describe it and we'll turn it over to you. I showed up there, found a Naperville police officer, give him my ID and they look at my ID and they go, hey, are you the Bears kid? <laughs> I feel like there have been more than a handful of moments in my life when I inherited blessings from my dad. He was a friendly, outgoing guy, so there were a lot of people who went out of their wages to treat him well. And that blessing was passed along to his sons. Now, I share those stories. I hope you can laugh with me about them. I recognize your earthly family might look a little bit different. It wouldn't surprise me if there are people in this room today who have been treated poorly because of who their parents were. And I grieve with you over that. But that's not the point. In Christ, your inheritance is a spiritual one. You may not be the bear's kid, but in God's eyes, you're Abe's kid. You hear what I'm saying? You are the true heirs of Abraham, and God's going to bless you accordingly. If you're a follower of Jesus, then God's blessing is on your life, not because of who you are, but because your spiritual father, Abraham, was a man of great faith. God's blessing is on your life, not because of who you are, but because your spiritual ancestor, Isaac, was a child of the covenant. God's blessing is on your life because you have been grafted in to a great family tree and their blessings are now yours. You are an heir of the promise. Now, over time, Isaac's wealth became a bigger and bigger point of conflict between him and his Philistine neighbors. And they began to try to edge him out of the land. Isaac had been living on land that was filled with wells that had been dug by his father, Abraham. And the Philistines would sneak into that land and they would fill the wells with dirt. Isn't that nasty? So what Isaac did, he decided, look, I'm not going to pick a fight here. He just moved out to a, a valley in kind of the outlying region. That valley happened to also have some old wells that his father Abraham had dug. And, and so he settled there for a while, but the Philistines moved out there and, and they started filling those wells with dirt as well. They claimed that that land was their own as well. So Isaac moved even further and further away and God kept guiding him and God kept reminding him of all of his promises. And then this happened. I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 26. One day King Abimelech came from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzath and also Phicol, his army commander. And that's exactly how all of those names are supposed to be pronounced. Just trust me. <laughs> Why have you come here? Isaac asked. You obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. They replied, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us just as we have never troubled you. Oh, really? <laughs> Isaac kept receipts, right? <laughs> no, but Abimelech's like, we never troubled you. We have always treated you well and we sent you away from us in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty and they ate and they drank together. Then Isaac sent them home again and they left in peace. That very day, Isaac's servant came and told them about, watch this, a new well they had dug. We found water, they exclaimed. So Isaac named the well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba. 
which means well of the oath. If you look on a map of Israel today, you will find in southern Israel, just to the east of the Gaza Strip, a city called Beersheba. This is the story of how that city began. And like almost everything else we've read in this chapter, the whole exchange between Abimelech and Isaac is a major deja vu. Way back in chapter 21, the Bible records that Abraham was having water disputes with the Philistines. And the Bible records that eventually they drove him as far away as, you guessed it, Beersheba. And the Bible says that, you guessed it, Abimelech and his army commander, Phicol, showed up there and said, hey, why can't we be friends? And they signed a treaty together. The circumstances of those two stories are almost identical. The characters are the same. Well, they're probably the kids of the original characters. But the location is the same. The treaty is the same. But something very important is brand new in Isaac's time. I hope you'll indulge me as we just focus on this one detail because it jumps off the pages of Scripture. There's a brand new well. Isaac had been going around to the wells that his father had dug and and he wasn't finding any rest there. He was finding conflict and strife. But God's blessing is made clear to Abraham when I, I'm sorry, it's made clear to Isaac when Isaac's household digs a brand new well. It's dug by Isaac's servants in Isaac's land for Isaac's family. And even though some of the challenges in this story are the same, right? Some of the conflicts are the same. Some of the struggles and the threats, it's all the same. It's all the same. It's like everything we've been saying this morning. It's all the same again and again and again and again. The well, the well is new. The water is fresh. And I believe that's no accident. That's just how God works in the lives of his people. God has fresh supply for the heirs of the promise. Fresh supply for the heirs of the promise. The early story in Isaac's adult life, the the stories were almost a carbon copy of the things that happened to his father, right? Same challenges, made the same mistakes, struggled with the same enemies. He even argued over the same parcels of land. And maybe you identify with that today. Maybe you're struggling with discouragement because you feel like the things that you've prayed for and hoped for and struggled for, maybe you feel like those things haven't changed in a generation. Maybe you feel like you've spent your whole life fighting with the same enemy over the same parcel of land. I want to say to you today, if that's you, don't lose hope. Hear the word of the Lord today. God is providing new wells for this generation of his covenant people. God is providing new wells. I believe in faith God's providing new wells even just today for his covenant people. You see, you might be facing an old problem. You might be fighting an old battle. You might be staring down an all too familiar enemy. But if you're an heir to the promise, there's no reason for you to become weary or discouraged. I believe there's a new well for you to draw strength from today. Right? What did Jesus tell his followers? He said, I'm the living water. He said, you don't, you don't have to rely on the same well again and again. He said, you come drink from me, you're going to get something fresh. 
You're going to get something new. You're going to get something that's going to be a refreshing to your soul. There is a new well for you today as a new generation of the heirs to the promises. In Christ, God will renew and refresh you for this day's journey. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? You might say to me, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And I know you're going to tell me, well, just pray about it. Right? That's what pastors do. I got a problem, Pastor. Just pray about it. Just read your Bible. Guess what? You're right. That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. I went to four years of seminary, and that's all they gave me. Pray about it. Read your Bible a little more. All right, I'm good. You're going to say, but wait, I've prayed that prayer before. I can't tell you how many thousands of times I've gotten down on my knees and prayed that prayer before. I've, I've prayed for my kids before, I've prayed for financial breakthrough before. I've prayed for my marriage before. I've prayed for lost souls in, 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 in my family and in my neighborhood. I've prayed that prayer before. God has a new well for you to draw from today. You go dig. You pray that prayer again. You say, I've read all the scriptures. I've, I've, man, I've read the Psalms a hundred times. I've read them. I've read them. I've read them. I've read them. And here I am back in the same place. Guess what? You read them again. You go to God's word again because there's a new well for you today. There's a new well for you today. There's a new source of refreshing. It's not new. You're not going to find words there that, that you've not seen before. It's not new in that sense. I'm saying God is doing a new thing today. God is doing a new thing today. Do you know that? What does the Bible say about the mercies of the Lord? It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Why? Because it's the same old stale stuff that we've seen before. No, no, no. You know the verse. It says his mercies are new every morning. New every morning. Why are they new? Because his faithfulness is great. His faithfulness is great. And so, yeah, we face the same problems sometimes. Yeah, we fall down sometimes in the same traps. Yeah, we we make the same mistakes sometimes. Yeah, we face the same enemies sometimes. It happens again and again and again. The enemy we face is just not all that creative. And so sometimes bad things happen and they happen again and again and again. And it feels like, why am I doing this all over again? But you know what? You serve a God who digs new wells. Boy, I just I want that to be a word for us today. Would you stand with me as, as we as we seal this moment together in prayer? If you came to church today with a sense of weariness in your heart, a sense that said. I don't know that I can fight this battle for the 145th time. If you came discouraged because you feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I've made any progress. In the time I've been a follower of Jesus, whether that time is short or long, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I've made any progress. Maybe the part of this story that you identify with the most is you feel like Isaac Back in the land of the Philistines, scared for your life, trying to find a decent drink of water. Haven't we been there before? If you came in feeling in any way like that, discouraged, I want to encourage you to ask God just for the strength to dig a new well.
just for the strength to dig a new well. Not to be necessarily in the same place we've always been before. Not to go through the motions because we've predetermined that this is how it works. But to say, God, I'm going to put my shovel in the ground one more time. And I'm going to dig a new well. Would you have the courage to pray a new prayer again today? Even if it feels like the prayer, prayer that you've always prayed. Would you have the courage to sing a new song today? Even if it's the same song that we sang last week. Would you have the courage to open your Bible and read that scripture again today? Even if it's a scripture you've read a hundred times before. Lord, would you pour your word over our hearts today? Would you refresh us with living water today? In the presence of our enemies, would you sustain us today with new wells in this land? Church, Isaac lived in this spot where he was surrounded by enemies. Remember, Moses ran all the way to Egypt. And in Egypt... God said, you're not supposed to be here. Isaac didn't get that far. He ran to the land of the Philistines. And God said, stay here. Stay here. Did you catch what God said? He said, one day I'm going to give you this land. One day I'm going to give you this land. Not yet. So Isaac's running all over Philistia, just trying to find a decent drink of water. Saying, God, I thought you told me you were going to give me this land. God, I thought you told me you were going to answer my prayers for my family. God, I thought you told me you were going to bring me healing. God, I thought you told me that you were going to provide for me. God, I thought you told me that you were going to sustain me. God, I thought you told me that you were going to fill me with your spirit. I thought you told me, I thought you told me, I thought you told me I'm here where you told me to be. And they're still filling my wells with dirt. What's going on? Could it be that the Holy Spirit is saying to you, dig a new well. Dig a new well. Dig a new well. Lord, thank you that your water refreshes us. Jesus, thank you that you identify yourself to us as living water, the keeper of living water. When we drink, we aren't thirsty again. We don't find ourselves back in the same place. Lord, that's the well we want to find. And so you know what we're going to do, God? We're going to dig. We're going to dig and we're going to trust. We're going to dig and we're going to trust. We're going to believe that you are as faithful as your word says. You've been faithful through every generation. Through every generation. Would you fail now? Of course you wouldn't, God. You've been faithful in the life of our father Abraham. You've been faithful in the life of our ancestor Isaac. You've been faithful through generation upon generation. You have sustained your people. Would you fail now? Of course you wouldn't, God. Of course you wouldn't. 
Lord, I pray for your people gathered here today. That your word would find good soil in our hearts. It would find a place where we could protect it and we could keep it. Lord, that you would teach us to tap into what you have for us today. Lord, that as your word uh, expands on this metaphor, that streams of living water would gush forth from our hearts today. Thank you for all of these things. And bless us now in the power and the strength. And in the name of your Son, Amen. 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 May God's blessing be upon you as you go. Hey, if you want to pray about something today, I'm here for you. You can meet me at the altar. We'll pray together. But have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.